0: Again, my name is Kyle Robertson, pastor here at White's Chapel. So glad to be with you this evening, especially after that. I mean, if you don't have a pep in your step, you must not be alive. As we continue our series, playlist filled with songs you, the congregation, have voted on to include, Uh, we get one of those Motown classics, originally recorded by... Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell ain't no mountain high enough love it I want to share with you some interesting facts about this song that you and I didn't know until after I prepared for this sermon this song was written by the dynamic duo of Nicholas Ashford and Valerie Simpson in 1966 I'm not gonna ask if you were alive back then I was not I call them a dynamic duo because one they were married Two, they went on to write a whole library of other classics for other artists like Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing, Baby, and Reach Out and Touch Somebody's Hand. <laughs> Woo! And they had their own successful recording career with hits like Solid as a Rock. Y'all remember that one? I remember that one. But with the song we heard today, Ain't No Mountain High Enough was written. Ashford and Simpson's relationship was relatively new. The story goes that as Nick Ashford was walking around New York City, completely gaga over his new love, Valerie Simpson, he looked up and surrounded by some of the tallest skyscrapers in the world, thought to himself, not one of these massive buildings could keep me away from my new love, not even the tallest mountain or the deepest valley and boom, Eureka. He had a hit on his hands. And after they wrote the song, many artists tried to record it and make it one of their signature songs. But Ashford and Simpson, they had higher hopes. They wanted to break into the Motown music scene. And they thought this song might be their ticket into the successful recording company. So they held on to it and they waited for the right opportunity to come along. And along comes Marvin Gaye, a superstar in his own right with the Motown recording label and someone who loved, 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 loved to sing duets. He already had a string of popular songs with other partners, but all had gone on to start solo careers. So there he was looking for a new piece of music, looking for a new partner, and along comes this wonderful song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Marvin Gaye and found Tammy Terrell a relatively unknown, up-and-coming talent, and decided to see if they gelled. Ironically, the two recorded the original recording without each other present. They sang their parts without the other present and stitched it together into a duet when it was recorded. And obviously, it worked, right? We immediately recognized it as soon as that music started, and it reached number 19, on the Billboard pop charts and became Tammy and Marvin Gaye's signature song that they performed on the road and I love this song as I'm sure you do for its content the way it talks about two people sharing a love that surpasses any mountain or valley a love that ensures if you need me call me no matter how far I'll be there but I also love this song because I have had Mountains on my mind lately My family and I just returned from a a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Alaska And we could see mountains all around us as we cruised along the coast and stopped at our destinations Some of the most beautiful mountain ranges in the United States are up in Alaska And I would just stand there in awe looking at them you can imagine this little old Texas boy, accustomed to hot, flat dirt, surrounded by these majestic mountains and their rich green slopes and their snow-capped peaks. I was just in awe. And every day there was some new mountain in view because we were cruising along the coast or mountains, mountain ranges in view. And so I was listening to the song to prepare for my meditation tonight, for our time together. I saw some of those towering mountains And some of the yawning valleys that they talk about in this song. And I love this song too because it pairs so perfectly with our scripture for this weekend. As it talks about a love that cannot be contained and cannot be overwhelmed. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. When he writes these words that we have before us tonight. From his letter to the Romans chapter 8 verses 37 through 39 if you have your Bibles open them up and read along with us if you have the WC life app you can open that up and see our reading for today also the words will be or they already are right there for us on the screen here are these words from Romans chapter 8 verses 37 through 39 no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am convinced Paul writes that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now these things that Paul writes about are the present sufferings and the challenges those churches and Christians in Rome were facing. We're told that Paul had little to do with the founding of these communities, but still he writes to them having been briefed on some of the struggles that they are moving through to instill hope and provide comfort to encourage them and us to remain strong in their faith no matter what comes our way. And Paul's letter to the Romans is the closest document we have to a systematic theology of Paul. That is, what he believes and why he believes it. And Paul, as a student of the law, sets this entire chapter, chapter 8, as a rhetorical argument. This rhetorical argument is set up in a series of questions and answers provided by the same person and responded to by the same person. It's a, a device that they would use in court to plead their case convincingly. So here is very basically Paul's rhetorical argument as contained in Romans chapter 8. Question If God is for us, who is against us? Answer no one Paul says because God not having spared his son will now spare nothing to show us his love question who will bring a charge against God's elect answer no one Paul says God is our justifier question who will condemn answer no one Christ died Christ is risen Christ will come again and intercedes for us in our past in our present and throughout our future question who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus answer none of these possible candidates And Paul lays them all out for us. Not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not height, not depth, not anything else he says in all of creation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing present, nothing past is greater than God's love for us and because our future, our eternal future is now secure through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to separate us from the love of God in and through Christ Jesus. And these aren't just words for Paul, they're not just things he writes. Paul states that he is convicted or convinced, assuring us this is not some passing expression, feeling, or imagined conclusion. Paul is telling us the love of God that nothing separates us from is an unshakable truth. And what he's proposing is not some content to comprehend. It's not a basic truth to understand up here or to keep right here. Paul is telling us God's love is a reality to fully experience in every facet of our daily lives. It is an unmoving, unchanging, founding principle upon which we can build everything. Our faith is not predicated Paul reminds us on the philosophical notion of cogito ergo sum which is I think therefore I am. Paul is telling us a life of Christian faith is cemented upon this truth. Deus amat ergo sum. God loves me therefore I am. Our God is not some distant deity some cosmic overseer who sets things into motion and steps away coldly to watch them just unfold before him. God is close, God is personal, God is involved in every moment of our lives. As Henry Nowen writes, God is a God of the present, always in the moment, be that moment hard or easy, joyful or painful. God is intimately involved in the day-to-day life of His people, Paul tells us, devoted to them eternally through the unconditional love He displays in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of God's love as our ultimate security and encourages us to look to the cross and see there the steadfast evidence of just how much we are loved to see what great lengths God will go to to remind us of that. And if this God loves us, Paul contends, what can possibly stop us? You and I know there is plenty to stand between ourselves and God, that we allow to burden ourselves, that we allow to be obstacles. When we sin and we fall short of our purpose to follow God's way, we construct obstacles stone by stone shovelful by shovelful and bucketful by bucketful we build up seemingly insurmountable mountains between ourselves and the one who loves us we dig the seemingly intractable valleys between us and the source of all our strength we carry the water That creates the seemingly relentless rivers and streams that course between us and our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. With every unkind word, with every uncaring thought, with every hateful action with which we lash out in anger, or every loving action we fail to take out of fear, we separate ourselves from God. We create realities where everything seems impassable for us. What is there we ask ourselves to love about us? And over time we begin to convince ourselves that we are so unlovable that no one can overlook the mountains and valleys we have created for ourselves. No one can overlook our shortcomings to love us just the way we are. Sounds like a miserable proposition but it's one so many of us willingly choose to live by and we hear in our scripture tonight Paul assuring us that we do not have to live like this that there is one who looks beyond our sin there is one who sent his son to the cross knowing how sinful we are and how sinful we were and how sinful we will, will be and loves us just the way we are just as we are. On our trip to Alaska, I got a chance in Skagway to meet a local celebrity of short of sorts. Slinky Jenkins is his name. It's not really his name. It's the name he goes by to the countless tourists that roll off of cruise ships and choose to participate in the excursion the company that employs him offers. Now this excursion promised us and you a trip to a real mining camp just like the one you may have lived in if you were one of 100,000 prospectors that came to that region during the Klondike Gold Rush in 1898. And early during our excursion, my friend Slinky chose me to be his assistant, read butt of his jokes. As the day went on, he picked on me from time to time, he had me hold things, he kept prompting me to ask questions that he had already answered or had simple responses. And near the end of our time together, my friend Slinky asked me what it is I do for a living. Now this is a question I fear. Not because I am ashamed of the gospel, not because I am ashamed of what I do, because in my experience after 20 years in ministry when I tell people I am a pastor they often have one of two reactions they either immediately begin to backtrack on everything shared previously in our conversations <laughs> they begin to apologize profusely for any untoward comments or coarse language they may have used I could just see it their minds spinning to see and re uh, repeat what it was they said earlier and then they proceed to avoid me at all costs for the rest of our time together. Or they do the opposite. They begin to provide me with their rich faith history. They pull out their church membership records and their Sunday school attendance badges and then they ask me every question they've ever thought about God or Jesus or the Bible or theology which is wonderful. And after spending, like I said, over 20 years in ministry, I've become understanding and compassionate in each situation. But when I responded to Slinky, that I was indeed a pastor and a Methodist one at that, I got a reaction I have rarely experienced. He stopped his scripted presentation, he dropped his gruff affect and fake drawl, looked me in the eye, and began to actually talk with me about his family and his life and his past. He shared with me how many in his family were actually Methodist pastors back in Erie, North Carolina where he grew up. He let his guard down and in doing so, invited me into his real life. My disclosure was met with an actual connection. And as he noticed that the group was a little shocked by this sudden change in his demeanor, he returned to fully embracing his Slinkiness and asked if we could eat lunch together later, which I agreed. And as we enjoyed our lunch, Slinky told me his real name and shared that he had a tough time growing up after his father had died when he was young. At 17, he packed his belongings and he hit the rails, riding on boxcars throughout the United States. And because his father had worked in Alaska and spoke often of how beautiful it was, Slinky had ultimately landed there to find work with the excursion company. He rolled up his sleeves and his pant legs to show me a multitude of tattoos that in their own unique way told the story of Slinky's life. Each tattoo he had signified an experience along the rails or uh, an experience in his life that was worth remembering. He shared that with me that he got to meet a lot of people through his work, but felt maybe God had made a connection between us. He confided in me that he was still searching, seeking for purpose, seeking for that unconditional love and felt that God had connected us for some reason that day, which I wholeheartedly agreed with. And there in the valley, between two ranges of towering mountains next to a rushing river, God showed up and reminded us that nothing could stop Him from connecting two people with each other and with God. And as we left the port and we continued our trip, we talked a lot about Slinky, my family and I. We still do, in fact. And I know for whatever reason God connected us on that day. And I also know without a doubt, God will continue to work in and through his life to reveal what God has planned for him out of God's great love for a man named Slinky Jenkins. Throughout the word of God, we see reminders that God can overcome anything we create that seems to separate us from him. He can overcome anything to connect us, to companion us, and to love us. Isaiah 40 says, God will lift up every valley and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. You see, the mountains and the valleys and the rivers of our lives that cause us to see a separation, they may seem impassable to us, too low or too high for God to ever get in. But God, through Jesus Christ, mows them down. He flattens them out. He fords across them to create a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. Because as our scripture today reminds us, And the story of our faith reminds us nothing, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing in our past, nothing in our present, nothing in our future, in our life, in this world or in the next. Nothing we create, nothing we construct, nothing we dig ourselves into is too deep or too wide or too high for God to overcome and show us God loves us. Once and for all, nothing can stop the love of God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, through his triumphant resurrection, and his ongoing care for us through the power and the majesty of the Holy Spirit. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis reminds us of the power of the love God pours out for us, a love that has no earthly equal Lewis talks about our empathetic love for one another on a base human level called storge. He talks about the love we have for family, called philia. He discusses eros, the romantic love we have for one another, the kind of love our song talks about between a man and a woman. But Lewis says, the kind of love God has for us is above and beyond all these three. The love God has for us is agape, a real, authentic, unconditional, unfailing love. Agape love is not something we can earn, but a gift freely given. Agape love is genuine love for exactly who we are, just the way we are, no matter how we think about ourselves. God's agape love for us is not temporary, or fleeting, like other loves can be. Temperamental, sometimes, like other loves can be. It is eternal. The psalmist writes this, about the incomprehensible breadth, depth, and height of God's love. He says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains Your judgments are like the great deep. But even with these assurances, there are times when we feel conquered, not by anything we have created, not by anything we have done, but something that may have happened to us or ones we love. On October 14th, 1967, just a year after this was recorded, Tammy Terrell collapsed on stage while performing with Marvin Gaye. She was rushed to a local hospital, and doctors there found that Tammy had a massive, inoperable brain tumor. And on March 16, 1970, just four years later, at the age of 24, Tammy Terrell died. Her on-stage partner, Marvin Gaye, was devastated. Sent into a depressive tailspin. Overwhelmed by his grief over Tammy's death, he felt conquered by this great loss. But over time, with the help of God and the support and love of friends and family, Marvin dealt with those emotions. And along his journey of grief, recorded one of his most famous albums called What's Going On? As a care and support pastor, I have companioned many in our congregation through the journey of grief. And at times I have been present with families and individuals even as their loved ones are making their journey home. And in those moments, as we walk together through the valley of the shadow of death, or later as we walk through the wilderness of grief, we too may feel conquered. In Lamentations, a book born out of grief, Chapter three, verses 21 through 24, there's a passage that reminds us that even in seemingly hopeless times, the Lord's unfailing love and mercy continue, it says, fresh as the morning, as sure as the sunrise. And in those moments, in those moments, the Lord is all we have. So we put our hope in him. Friends, the love of God is the deepest truth in the cosmos. To trust in God's love is to open ourselves to hope to a richer and fuller humanness, suffering included, than we may have ever known. And remember what Paul says, we are not conquered, not by death, not by life, Not by anything that the world can throw at us, but are more than conquerors in and through the unfailing love of the Lord, the one who gives and goes to the cross to give us and cover our sin, the one who goes to the grave to conquer death once and for all, the one who rises in life to fight every battle right by our side. We are not conquered, we are more than conquerors, Paul says. Conquerors who can more than win a temporary victory over a weak enemy, but instead see any enemy, any enemy we face off the battlefield entirely and eternally forever. And when we grasp that we live not as a conquered people, but as conquerors, and we grasp the magnitude and the reality of God's agape love, we can move mountains too we can extend that love to others. Little by little, we can change the world around us for the better. We can shine a little light into the darkness and proclaim to the world, a world seemingly filled with bad news, the overwhelmingly good news of Jesus Christ. We can, by the way we live our lives, share that genuine, unconditional, uncompromising love with all those around us through a word, through a hand extended in mercy, a heart opened in grace, a deed done in the name of the one whose love cannot and will not be stopped. In closing, I want us to remember this undeniable truth. There ain't no mountain high enough There ain't no river deep enough. There ain't no valley wide enough to keep us away from God's love because the one true God has poured out through his son Jesus the love that is most powerful and breakable, unbreakable than any other love in the world. And the absolute last word of this message and the absolute last word on God is this, Love. Let us pray. Everlasting God, the one whom our hearts and souls love, the one who, having given Your Son up for our sin, demonstrates the lengths Your love will go to. Oh God, the love that will not let us go. We lift our lives to you, asking for you to remind us day by day, moment by moment, breath by breath, how great your love is for us. Even as we feel completely unlovable, convinced by the world around us, convinced by the situations we create that there is no way your love can break through our lives. You crash through our mountains. You flatten out our valleys and display your overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. A love that chases us down and fights for us. A love that leaves everything behind to find us, even when we feel hopelessly lost. Gracious God, lighten our every darkness with the light of your love that has been with us and for us, fighting every battle alongside us from the beginning of time to the present and into an eternal future. O God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, we lift this prayer to you as more than conquerors. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.